Welcome to the very first episode of Cisco's Healthcare Now podcast. I'm Ron Rotman, an account manager here at Cisco and also the Canadian Healthcare Vertical Lead. This is a new platform where we discuss current healthcare IT trends and how Cisco is able to help enhance clinical delivery with technologies that improve the patient experience, help deliver data-driven care, protect patient information, and leverage the network to transform buildings into smart hospitals. For our first episode, we're joined by Dave Yerku, the National Healthcare Lead of Solutions Architecture here at Cisco Canada. We'll be talking about the rise of virtual care over the last year. Dave, welcome. Ron, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. You have such a great passion to enhance clinical delivery through technologies and such an eloquent way to present the art of the possible. I'm excited to speak to you today. Like many others, here we are, the one-year anniversary of COVID lockdown. I'm in a dress shirt, track pants, and flip-flops sitting in my home office. With the click of a mouse or the tap of my phone, I can connect with my family physician and never have to leave this chair. And you know what? I can really get used to that. Dave, you've been working on several virtual care and telehealth projects over the last few years with organizations such as the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. I'd like to begin by asking you questions around COVID-19's impact on care and virtual care. How has the pandemic sped up these projects that were previously in the works for several years? So it's a great question. And you're right, the pandemic has sped up a lot of the projects in terms of uh, hospitals and healthcare providers providing virtual care or telemedicine. Um, you know, we kind of entered the the lockdown, as you said, about a year ago. And while virtual care was a thing that certain you know providers did offer to their patients, um, it wasn't it wasn't as easy as it is a year later. Uh, you you typically had to travel to a location that had the hardware and the system set up so that a patient in a remote community uh, could talk to a physician in a you know in a major metropolitan area. Um, there wasn't that ubiquitous ability to connect from a patient-owned device from the comfort of their own home, much like you're doing today or you suggested you're doing. Um, and so the, the last year has really seen the adoption of uh, both providers, but also payers. So the, you know, obviously in Canada, we have uh, public health care. And so the, the provinces uh, and in the U.S., the, the payers uh, opened up the willingness to uh, reimburse physicians for being able to provide that virtual virtual care on platforms that they hadn't seen previously. And what do you think prevented healthcare providers from moving forward with virtual care prior to COVID? Was it just billing? Were there other factors involved? I, I think there was a number of factors. I think billing was one. I think the the ease of the technology, uh, it wasn't there, right? It was like I said, in a lot of cases, patients still had to travel to the to their regional facility. Uh, what we're seeing now, both on the the patient side, is again that ubiquitous access, but also on the provider side, um, a lot more integration into the existing systems and workflows that physicians and providers are used to. Uh, the last thing you know at Cisco, what we want, we don't want to do is to make the lives of the provider more complicated, uh, and therefore, a lot of what we're doing from a, a virtual care or telemedicine perspective is integrating our WebEx platform, our collaboration suite, natively into the electronic medical record systems that the physician is already using, and trying to make that as seamless for them to be able to provide that care, uh, and doing that not just uh, from an integration perspective, but also keeping in mind security and privacy. Um, and I, I think we'll, we'll touch on those in a little bit as well. 
It's interesting because I'm assuming about a year ago, we were in a proof of concept phase and uh, now we're in the real world a year later where this has become the norm. What types of things did we need to keep in mind when we were working with our healthcare professionals? And uh, what would you say has been the lessons learned over the past year when we moved in from a, from a pilot stage to what we have now, a full production stage? So I think the one thing that always resonates with me when, when working with healthcare providers is that you have very limited opportunity to prove uh, the successes or prove value of your solution. You know, we often talk about, you know, three strikes and you're out. I find in healthcare, in a lot of cases, those healthcare providers, the professionals uh, have a one strike and you're out mentality. And I think that's because at the end of the day, they're focused less on the tools and the solutions and but more about providing um, you know, clinical outcomes and positive clinical outcomes. And if technology becomes a hindrance to them, if technology stands between them and being able to provide that, that excellent care, then they're just going to walk away. They're going to, they're going to look at a different solution. And so often we find that you need to get it right the first time when you're providing new technology solutions like virtual care to healthcare professionals. Um, I think the other lesson that we've learned is, uh, and I mentioned this a little bit already, is you need to integrate your technology solution, again, whether it's virtual care or some other uh, you know, clinical outcome, into existing workflows. You need to work with what's already in place, right? In a lot of hospitals, um, you know, we're talking about hundreds of individual systems uh, interconnecting to provide that, that clinical care. Uh, you need to integrate into those systems, into the way they're already being used by the physicians. And the, the last thing I'll, I'll mention is the fact that, you know, a year ago, uh, when the pandemic first hit, there was every tool available being used by physicians, right? There was a sort of a Rolodex of technology solutions, some consumer focused, um, you know, some provided by the the mobile companies, some provided by small uh, organizations, some, some provided by large like Cisco. Uh, but I think what, what has happened in the last year is really an understanding of, you know, this solution that we adopt for virtual care can't be a bolt-on. It can't be a consumer class solution. It needs to be enterprise and clinical grade. It needs to think about privacy, security, and how that integrates again into the existing hospital systems. Dave, when I think of collaboration solutions being rolled out in a clinical setting, I imagine a long phone queue with touch buttons that's going to navigate and direct me to the uh, appointments getting or lab results or anything around that. And um, also now that we're, we're enabled with video conferencing solutions like WebEx to do virtual consults, um, are you finding that clinics and hospitals have actually built upon these tools just by what you said before around some really interesting use cases that we didn't think were possible? Could you talk a little bit about what you've seen? Yeah, you're right. I think uh, we're we're still at the early days of really understanding how to best leverage this technology, and we've seen some really interesting uh, outcomes already since the the pandemic hit. Um, I'll just highlight a couple. We're working with a customer in the in the prairies here in Canada uh, for leveraging the WebEx solution for doing virtual rounding. So one of the challenges that you typically have is Getting all the you know the physicians, the interns uh, to come into an environment uh, like a hospital and do rounds, right? So you walk around from patient to patient from as in a learning opportunity. With the pandemic, the ability for that number of people to gather 
uh, has been limited. And so they're leveraging the WebEx platform to do the same type of experience, but leveraging uh, you know, a virtual effectively rounding experience. And so you've got individuals both in the hospital, but also you know, in remote clinics or even working from home. Uh, another really interesting use case and something that, you know, has been uh, really interesting to see the adoption of is the translation services being provided in real time by the platform. So what happened typically was if you had a virtual consult, you know, a virtual uh, telemedicine appointment between a provider and a patient that perhaps didn't speak the same language or, or you know, say English wasn't the first native language of the, the, the patient, um, you had the ability to schedule translation services and have that particular individual join the the call. That obviously involves scheduling of a, a, another party, a third party, uh, and it just made things a lot more complicated. What we're finding now is customers are starting to leverage the automatic translation services offered by WebEx. So when you join a meeting and you've got uh, a native English speaker and maybe someone whose you know second language is not English, um, WebEx can translate the physician in real time as they you know talk to the patient into over a hundred languages, which is then displayed on the screen for the patient. Right, so uh, really, really interesting use case. That can also then be leveraged for things like transcription services, right? So you've got a lot of physicians who still uh, transcribe, you know, they dictate their notes and they get transcribed. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of that capability being integrated into the meeting experience or the, the appointment experience, but then inputting that data directly into the electronic medical record for the patient. Now, when you start to talk about that, you think, well, how is that secure? And so one of the things that we're really focused on at Cisco is patient security uh, and privacy, privacy of their information, not just their medical information, but you know, even their, their name, for example, uh, is something that Cisco doesn't you know, look at. We, we keep all of that entirely in the electronic medical record, and we're simply providing that on top virtual experience. The last um, really interesting use case that we've seen is on top of the virtual meeting experience is the addition of telemetry and, and monitoring tools. So we're working with a partner uh, called MedRoad out of Alberta. Uh, they were funded by the uh, University of Alberta, and they built a really interesting platform that provides virtual care capabilities additionally allows for a physician to be able to provide uh, you know remote monitoring capabilities things like heart rate blood pressure additional sensors that are provided to the patient and the doctor being remote can still do uh, effectively a quote-unquote hands-on uh, examination of the patient right one of the challenges in virtual care is the fact that you can't physically lay hands on a patient which in some cases you still need to do and so by being able to provide that remote secure connectivity for some of these monitoring tools it really enhances what a physician is able to do in a virtual care environment it's amazing how this evolved i mean dave i just read an article the other day that you actually shared with me around the digital twin what do you think? Uh, what do you think that's going to do for enhancing virtual care and the need to see people in person? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you're going to need 
you know, some subset of appointments will always have to be in person. But the concept of a digital twin is interesting in the sense that um, if you could replicate as much of the data uh, from your patient community, you can start to do really interesting things like analytics, look for large scale trends in your patient population, right? Maybe analyze, are, are there some contributing factors to an underlying health, you know, health issue based on not just the data from one patient, but from, you know, all the patients in your practice, for example. And so be able to model what that looks like based on a treatment profile, not just for one patient, but for all of them, leveraging not the actual patient, but that, that sort of the digital twin model, I think is going to be really transformative. Um, that's driven by, you know, the advent of, or the introduction of a lot more computing power that we were able to now, you know, leverage the AI, artificial intelligence or machine learning models to really crunch all that data in near real time. And that's something that we haven't been able to do in, in you know, previous, uh, I would say previous generations of some of these technologies. Yeah, it's really amazing uh, how fast we've come in the past year and uh, sad on the fact that it was based on the need to to address COVID-19 and all the implications it, uh, it provided us. But uh, it's just amazing where we're going with this. Um, just changing gears a little bit around virtual care and security. The growth of virtual technologies has also opened up a new can of worms when it comes to security. What are you seeing from a threat landscape and how has it changed now that we're in this virtual consulting world? Security, I think, has always been top of mind for healthcare providers. Uh, we have lots of information around, you know, the fact that your your typical healthcare provider or hospital is an ongoing target for you know bad actors. Uh, one of the stats that I you know typically share with healthcare customers is, you know, if someone goes out and Ron steals your credit card information, you know, they can get about two hundred dollars on the black market for that. And the reality is, you know, once you catch that, um, you cancel your credit card. Uh, the bank issues you a new one. You typically are not responsible for any of those charges, um, and you know you kind of walk away. the The challenge is with a health record. If someone manages to you know infiltrate, say, a hospital's uh, medical record information database and steals your medical record, that information is worth about a thousand to two thousand dollars on the black market. And there's a number of reasons for that. The first is, you know, that that information is a lot more difficult to erase or scrub. It's a lot more sensitive. It can be used for, you know, everything from insurance fraud to blackmail to any number of, you know, sort of uh, negative outcomes, if you will. And so um, the value of that information makes hospitals and healthcare providers um, a, a target, a, sadly a target for some of these bad actors. And so uh, when we think about security, you know, we typically talk about security uh, in layers. It's kind of like peeling back the the layers of an onion. Um, it, each layer is a different component of a security toolkit, if you will. Everything from email security to ensure that you're not receiving it, you know, fraudulent attachments, which could p contain viruses or Trojan horses or or, or malware or ransomware. Um, then you need to talk about network security, who's getting on the network. And so we, we talk a lot with customers around sort of that defense in depth, if you will, or the, the concept of layering on the different security tools to work in harmony with each other to really understand what's happening in your environment. One of the key things that we're, we're really focused on is not just that security piece, but I kind of touched on it in the previous question, which is around privacy. 
And so when you talk about privacy, you know, there's a lot of uh, focus on that from a you know governmental perspective, as there should be in Canada. Here we've got you know PHIPAA. In the U.S., you've got HIPAA legislation, which really forces uh, both technology vendors like Cisco, but also healthcare providers to treat that patient information with utmost care. And so when we build our products, like our collaboration tools, like WebEx, um, we make sure that we're doing everything we can to minimize the impact of us a having to record or, or retain any patient information. And when we do, we have very strict controls about how we you know, encrypt that data, who's got possession of the, you know, the decryption keys uh, to ensure that when healthcare providers are, are leveraging WebEx, they can do that in a confident fashion. With the growth of medical IoT devices coming in the market and the ever importance of virtual care and integration and connectivity, Dave, what do you think hospitals should be looking at to further enhance security around this growing device population of IoT devices and connectivity? Great question. So one of the real challenges that uh, hospital administrators or IT staff or clinical engineering has with this proliferation of devices is the fact that a lot of these devices have had their IP or internet connectivity bolted onto the side, right? They're, the manufacturer of that infusion pump or that patient monitor is not worried about making the best security posture for that device. They're worried about the clinical outcome for that device. And so in a lot of cases, what happens is security is an afterthought. Now that device is still on the network. So somebody has to be worried about securing that device, making sure that it's you know, not an attack vector, right? In a lot of cases, we've seen um, hospitals and healthcare providers do a really good job of securing user devices. So the laptops, the tablets, the phones, all have endpoint security, uh, email security, but they kind of forget about the medical devices, but the attackers don't. The attackers leverage some of the security gaps and vulnerabilities that have been identified in these medical devices as a jump point into the rest of the network. And what happens is uh, you take your eye off the ball and pretty soon you've got uh, you know someone in your network jumping around from device to device unknown to you. In fact, the average uh, vulnerability or uh, attack, if you will, in a healthcare environment takes, takes our customers 55 days to detect. And it takes over a thousand days to remediate those attacks once they occur. Uh, and so anything you can do to secure those medical devices ahead of time and keep them uh, separate from the rest of your sensitive information databases is key. One thing that we do at Cisco is have this concept of zero trust, meaning don't allow any device, any user or anything connectivity to the network until it proves that it's able to be secure, able to be isolated if there is an issue with that device. And how do we do that with medical devices? Well, you know, these devices don't have a username or password associated with them like your, you know, laptop or your device when it connects to the wireless network. And so we leverage the network to isolate those devices until we can identify what they are. Uh, you know, is it a Draeger device? Is it a Philips device? Is it a Hilarom device? Uh, figure out what the device is, device, figure out its security posture. Is it running up-to-date firmware? Um, or are there 
discovered vulnerabilities in the level of software if it's running. If it is, we flag that for clinical engineering to deal with and remediate before we allow it on the network. The other benefit of these tools is it gives you a lot more visibility into the utilization of some of these medical devices. In fact, we've found that by leveraging these device, these solutions, the average medical device is only used or in use 42% of the time. That's a huge waste of capital and resources, right? Hospitals are buying additional equipment, but it's going unutilized. Right. One of the best examples that we've used is uh, the concept of nurses taking wheelchairs and hiding them in you know dark corners of the floor that they're working on because the way to discharge a patient is to put them in a wheelchair and you know wheel them out of the hospital. And if you can't find a wheelchair, then it's you know it slows down the entire process. And so by having all these you know, wheelchairs and potentially other devices, uh, stashed away in you know broom closets and, and other parts of the the floor, it really slows down the ability for everyone else to to get their job done. And so by being able to identify the the resources where they are and their utilization, it really improves the the efficiency of the of the hospital, but also the efficiency of the equipment that they procured. One last question around reimagining healthcare. We've talked a lot about the various technologies and how they have been deployed to keep things running day to day, but there's also a broader impact it has around access to care. Has this opened the door for us to reimagine how we approach care and virtual care, perhaps to build a better, more inclusive healthcare system? Dave, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's the goal of any healthcare provider, Ron, to be able to provide equitable and inclusive access to all of their patients and all of the population that they're serving. One of the challenges that we have seen with virtual care is the fact that you need some level of technology to be able to make that connection, either a laptop or a smartphone, typically with a robust internet connection. And these are, you know, in some cases, luxuries that patients don't have access to or can't afford. When we talk about you know, remote communities with limited bandwidth or aging population that, that have never used a smartphone or a, or a tablet, we want to make sure that they're able to leverage the same tools and the same access that you and I take for granted and we've taken for granted over the last year. One area that we're working with healthcare providers in that is this concept of a, a digital front door. And so even before you come into the hospital or if you want to experience the same level of care from home, a lot of the capabilities, a lot of the information, a lot of the, you know, the clinic clinical data is being able to as being offered to patients even before they step foot into the into the physical front door of the hospital. And that takes form in a number of factors. The first is the concept of omni-channel communication. And so uh, we talked about the, the concept of being able to reach your healthcare provider via the tools that are available to you, but from the provider perspective, to be able to provide the same level of care. And so while you and I may be able to have a virtual conversation uh, over video with our provider, some other individual might prefer to be able to SMS you know, questions via their, their uh, you know, smartphone, for example. How does the system bring all those disparate connectivity mechanisms into that centralized electronic medical record? This concept of the digital front door. Uh, we've got a number of partners in this space from a Cisco perspective, uh, partners like SpinSci and Luma Health, 
which have worked with numerous healthcare providers to really tie together the contact center, you know, the, the patient outreach center, uh, the electronic medical record system, as well as the collaboration tools that the healthcare provider is using uh, to bring those all together in a seamless fashion. The other area that we talk about from an inclusive health healthcare system, Ron, is around that, that population outreach, right? How do you proactively reach patients? Uh, and again, this ties back to really understanding the mechanisms or the tools available to reach the population. Um, and, it, and it could very well be, you know, email reach outs, it could be SMS, it could be phone calls, it could be video. Uh, the one piece of feedback that we constantly get from hospitals is they do not want to leverage multiple tools with multiple information silos or management silos. They want all of these tools integrated and being able to talk to each other. This concept of convergence is the one of the key drivers in everything that we talk about with our healthcare providers, whether that's convergence of multiple systems within the four walls of the hospital, the building automation system, the electronic medical record, the lighting system, the HVAC system, or that patient outreach. They want all of these tools to be able to tie together. And that's one key area where I think we're seeing going to see a lot more focus than we have in the last year, where, you know, frankly, we were leveraging uh, whatever virtual care solution just to be able to meet that level of care that was required. Um, I think over the next year or two, you're really going to see a lot more focus on making these tools integrated secure, private, and really easy to use. Dave, thank you for today. This has been great. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? Well, Ron, I think it's a it's an amazing time in healthcare. I think the pandemic, while the last year has been difficult for everybody, you know, we're getting vaccinated now. Um, and so I think there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm really excited to see how healthcare providers are able to leverage and improve clinical outcomes based on the technology they've adopted over the last year and some of the really exciting changes that we're seeing in, quote unquote, the new normal when it comes to delivering healthcare. Dave, thanks so much. It was great having you join us today. I really appreciate your time and I hope we can connect again soon. Thanks, Ron. Listeners, in our next episode, we'll be talking to Bill McGowan. Bill is the Director of Digital Buildings at Cisco Canada. We'll be talking about the rise of the fourth utility, the Converge Network, how it's transforming healthcare infrastructure and delivery of patient care. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Ron Rotman, and this has been Healthcare Now.